Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive After Divorce. This is Lisa Fountain, and this is my series. And I am, I think this will be the only show I'm actually kind of um, at a loss of words to bring to you. And I'm, as always, so honored to have my guest. Today, I have Chris Grasso, and he's a spiritualist. And you have your work endorsed in books by people like Jeff Bridges and Tony Hawk. You do all these things. And I'm actually speechless about the topic we're going to talk about today. But first, I just want to welcome you. Welcome, Chris. Well, thank you, Lisa, for having me. And uh, we spoke briefly about this in email. But um, I want to thank you for having this summit uh, that you're doing because I've never seen anything like it. Um, I get invited to a lot of these and it's not that I ever feel too good for them because that's not the case. I just get very busy sometimes. Um, so I'm honored to be a part of this one and really excited to explore uh, whatever we get into in this conversation. I know. This is the only one that I'm like going in blind, but I do want to acknowledge first what you just said because when you said that to me, so humbly as you did that you're asked to do many and you just can't but you chose to be part of this one and a thank you and b could you share why this one got your attention yeah well um first of all again like i just want to reiterate it's very important for me to make sure anyone listening knows like it's never that I feel like I'm too good to do one or it, I'm anything but that. Actually, since I agreed to do this one, I've had three invitations to others that I had to say no to literally because my schedule wouldn't permit. And it has nothing to do with money because I don't get paid for these. I just, I do these um, as a form of service. I want to help and do what I can. The reason, um, Lisa, I, I I definitely wanted to do yours is part selfish. It's not completely altruistic. To be mm -hmm. honest, I have never done a summit like this or a conference, online conference where the focus is divorce. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when you sent me that initial email and I saw that, that immediately grabbed my attention. I've spoken about spirituality and addiction and recovery and, you know, ad infinitum a million times, but this is a topic while I have written about it uh, to a certain extent, especially in my last book, uh, I've never really just gotten into this as the main focus of our conversation. So I bow deeply to you for taking the time to do this and put it together. Well, thank you. And, you know, I spirituality is a huge part of my life, but and it always comes in because this for those who may not have known him yet, or you do, he's a super cool guy. Just got his head tattooed yesterday. <laughs> but I mean, it's a common thread we all have, and we all have the same heart, and divorce touches it. Yeah. And the thing is, what, honestly, I have been obsessed with how can I help people through this process for two years. Yeah. Obsessed. Thought I had it all covered and I spoke to you and within five minutes, you brought up a subject I had not thought of. And I'm amazed, but yet I understand it's because I haven't lived it and you have. And so I'm, 
would be so honored if we could talk about aspect of divorce. I haven't lived, yeah. but I know people listening right now have, and your words can help them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which I, I know you're, you're, what you mean is um, when we had our very uh, brief initial phone call about this conversation, we were kind mm-hmm. of brainstorming topics and, uh, and I mentioned uh, the loss not physical loss, but the um, lo- presence, the loss of presence of my stepdaughter in my life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, first of all, before we get into that, let me say divorce in and of itself. I've gone through it once. That alone is crazy. Like the emotions just, I, I mean, I remember like I actually went on Amazon and, and I bought uh, two books about how to go through divorce, not legally, just like emotionally, like mm-hmm. how do you deal with it? Cause like, I felt like, you know, I'd lost everything. I, uh, just to give a very, I know we don't have a lot of time, but a very quick backstory. Uh, right. I met my ex-wife. Um, I'm a writer and, and whatnot. And, uh, she'd read some of my articles. I was living in Connecticut. She lives in Ottawa, Canada. She reached out to me and we connected on my writer page on Facebook, started messaging really hit it off. Um, and after talking for like a month, maybe two, I, we both knew there was something there. So I invited her to come down and visit Connecticut and she did. And, and we knew like right away, like there was something there very special. Um, so what we found out shortly thereafter, I'll never forget. I was, uh, performing at, yoga journal conference in Estes Park, Colorado. I'm sitting there on break, uh, messaging with or emailing with my soon to be wife or ex-wife at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and and well, actually it was right before I got on that with her, I had downtime and one of the performers I was playing with, her friend came and we were gonna go into town just to hang out. And he turned his car on and he had to like blow into this thing and I was like, what is that? And he said, uh, oh, it's an interlock system, which for those who don't know, in the U.S., uh, depending on uh, if you get a DUI, um, depending on the severity or amounts of them, et cetera, you may or may not get these installed in your car. And that, to me, was just like, whoa, I actually, you know, I'm, I don't think we already talked about this. I'm in recovery myself, but I had uh, two old DUIs. At this point, one of them was semi-fresh. And uh, I told them, I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Uh, You know, uh, and I don't remember how it came up, but I said I was going to visit um, this girl I'm really interested in Canada. And he's a filmmaker. And he said, yeah, don't be so sure about that. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, uh, DUIs in Canada are a felony. And I couldn't believe it. So we went into town. We came back. I rushed to my computer in the main lodge where they had service. And I started doing all this research. And my soon-to-be wife at that point, even though she lived in Canada, she didn't know that either. So I share this because literally the first, like, nine to 12 months of our relationship consisted of her having to come visit me every other month. She'd take Mm -hmm. a bus down um, because I was not, well, I never tried, but per what I read, 
with DUI as being a felony, I would not be allowed in the country. So uh, at about seven months, she comes down to visit and I knew it was the time. And I just, I proposed and she said yes. And uh, it was a really beautiful experience. And we began the very um, just arduous, just this process of all this paperwork. Becoming a, a citizen, I decided I would move there because being a writer and speaker gave me that freedom. Um, but becoming a citizen in another country alone is hard enough. Then when you have two not felony convictions in your own country, but that are recognized as such in another, adds, you know, <laughs> a ton of just heaviness to that. So we talked to an immigration attorney and he was very honest with us. And he's like, look, even though you're married uh, and we literally were married, he's like, I, I don't know how this is going to be approved. Mm -hmm. So for the first 15 months of our marriage, I lived in Connecticut. She lived in Canada in Ottawa with her stepdaughter. And again, the two of them would come down pretty much every other month and I'd get to see them for one to two weeks at a time. Uh, I got a lot of letters uh, from, at this point, I, I knew some people with some influence. I'm not talking like political wise, but like in the spiritual community, some bestsellers that really help people. So I got letters of reference and I put all this together and I'll never forget. It was uh, actually the day after I went to visit Ama, the hugging saint in New York. I went and I brought her a picture of myself, my ex-wife and my stepdaughter. And uh, she gave me a hug and she looked at it and put it to her forehead. And literally the next day I got a call from the New York uh, consulate office to the Canadian Affairs saying I was approved, which per the attorney we spoke with, the immigration attorney, he mm -hmm. said there was like a one in a million chance that would happen. Uh, and I'm not saying it's because of AMA. I, I'm just saying like weird coincidence. Yeah. Uh, they approved me on a three-year temporary residency permit. And they gave me three years because three years, if you've lived in Canada that long, you then are justifiably uh, or you have the right to claim citizenship. So I just, I feel like that was important to give the background because it was a real struggle for yeah, me you, to even get there in the first place. You guys moved mountains yes, to be better. Literally. And you would think after all of that, you know, like, wow, they went through so much. Mm -hmm. They must, you know, live the Cinderella story. Unfortunately not. Like, so I got the approval and I went up like a week or two later because finally I was approved. I spent a week there just to kind of get acclimated. And then I officially moved up there about two months later because I still had some loose ends to tie up in the States. And um, what quickly became apparent to me, I was very happy. Um, I was deeply in love with my wife and my stepdaughter. Um, I mean, my God, like the word stepdaughter doesn't even seem right to me because it's just like I, I would die for her to this day even. And I'll get a bit more into that. Like I would die for her. That's how old was she when you met her? Just so we when, can have a picture. Of well, course. Sure. No, great question. She was five years old. Okay, and at, age. Yeah. And at the end of the, where it all ended, she was 10. Hmm. And uh, I have not spoken to her since I believe. So now she's like 13. Um, 
I could just say, you know, right now I could choke up because that age five to 10 as a mom, like, it's just like the most precious age. Yeah. It, right. I mean, um, like they're all precious, but that's where they can really engage with you and form a relationship and bond. Like they always bond. I don't mean that, but, but you see them grow from a child to like turning into a little preteen. Exactly. And we did. And it was so neat for me to see her from when I first met her, like playing with my little ponies um, on the floor in a bedroom to then like kind of going up to playing Harry Potter on Wii because, you know, she was getting older and getting interested in kind of more young adult type things. Uh, The one thing I will say to this is that also worth mentioning. So we, um, my ex-wife and I only had her every other week and the weeks in between that she would be with her father who lived Mm -hmm. about 20 minutes away. And uh, I talk about being very lucky. He was such, or is such a a wonderful man. Like we got along so well. I've heard a number of nightmare experiences of people getting in relationships and their ex is terrible. This guy was absolutely phenomenal. A real, I mean, first of all, he, you couldn't ask for a better dad, period. He, was an incredible dad, but also just a very kind human being to the point where we would, to set a good example for my stepdaughter, the four of us would occasionally go out for family dinners or we would go trick-or-treating all together. We would spend Christmas together just because we wanted to show her that, you know, like life after uh, divorce or they they weren't even married, my ex-wife and, and this uh, my stepdaughter's dad. But in Canada, if you live together long enough, uh, it's like common law marriage or whatever, which they did have that. Um, so I did want to mention that because, yes, I was bonding with her deeply. And, uh, you know, we, we had a very special relationship, but she also did have her dad in the picture. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I knew my place and I always respected that. Um, so, okay. From there, you know, now I, yeah. I just have to add one feeling I have this. I think a place in a child's heart doesn't have a title. When you're special in a child's life, mm. you are. Yeah. Good point. I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and that's what I hope. I don't mean to fast forward too much and you can interject at any point here, Lisa. Mm. I, uh, I just, I did feel it was important to give that bit of background, which ran longer than I'd hoped, but, uh, you know, here I am now and I can, you know, I know I skipped over a lot because there's a whole divorce and I'm home and, or home, meaning back in Connecticut, et cetera. Um, but I know what we wanted to talk about was kind of that, uh, the dynamic of losing touch with um, not just an ex regarding like a wife or husband, but a stepdaughter or stepson and and to me, even um, losing touch with an adult is hard enough. Yeah. But, you know, they're okay. Losing touch with a child, I think it's hard. Would it be extra hard because you're thinking, they still need me. I still need to teach them. I need to be there. Or, you know, you have these protective feelings that aren't there with another adult, I would think. Yeah. So here's the thing. In that, You're absolutely right. But for me... The, the one thing I'm grateful for amongst anything else is that, well, I miss her and I think about her every single day. Mm-hmm. I know how incredible of a mother her mom was and is to her and the same with her dad. So 
as much as I wish, you know, I was there to be in her life, I, the one thing I can say really is that is one thing I don't worry about. Mm-hmm. I can imagine and I can understand why a lot of other people would feel that way. But right. I'm very lucky to be in the situation where that's not the case at all. Like she is in the best of hands. And aside from just her mother and her father, she has two sets of grandparents who, again, second to none, love her, would do anything for her. She's supported in every possible way. Um, she will, she already is an, an inspirational, amazing young woman, but she will only continue to grow into, you know, this, what I can't even begin to imagine. And that is a great fear of mine is um, not seeing that happen. Yeah. What, what, like, here's where I'm so, I have such gratitude for you being here because if I had a client come to me or people listening, I don't know how I'd respond to that. Like, I don't even know what to say to help somebody heal through that. Yeah. So I think one thing I should touch on is you know, for your listeners who haven't read my books and don't know my work, you know, I'm talking about the, I'm kind of jumping from the pre to the after and not giving the what happened. Which but, we have to. I mean. Yeah. And and I'll do right now and I'll try to nutshell it because again, being respectful of time. Um, so I was living in Ottawa and things were good. But at the same time, to be very honest, uh, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Because, you know, here I am. Ottawa's beautiful. I absolutely adore it. I I mean, I remember telling my literary agent when I was moving there, she's like, oh, it's like Canada without the stress. And after living there for several years, yeah, she's right. Yeah. Or it's like the U.S. without the stress, excuse me. Um, but she's right. And so, you know, I'm there and things are good. But at the same time, what I'm and I'm kind of suppressing this. It's coming up and I'm recognizing, but I'm suppressing the fact that I am definitely missing my parents. I'm very close to them. Mm-hmm. They're in their uh, almost mid sixties now at this point and at that point early sixties. And you know, I recognize once you hit that age, you never know. Um, so I'm missing them. I'm missing my brother, who's my best friend. He's married with two beautiful young girls who are now uh, five and three years old, uh, mm-hmm. but at the time obviously much younger and I'm the godfather to the oldest. And it was to the point where like I would come down and visit every few months, similar to like my ex-wife was doing before I moved to Ottawa. And my goddaughter wouldn't even hug me when I leave because she'd be so sad. Oh. She didn't understand why I was leaving. And uh, she formed a really special bond with my stepdaughter and, uh, and it was honestly up until recently, she actually finally stopped asking about her. But, um, when I would see her, she would, you know, even though it's been quite a while, she would ask like, where's, you know, my stepdaughter's name. And, uh, and, um, it would, you know, it, it was tough to handle, but anyway, so that, <sighs> Things were good, but I was also very much struggling. I I wasn't really facing that. And uh, I suffered, like I mentioned earlier, I'm in recovery. I suffered a relapse um, 
a couple of years into the marriage. It was very short-lived, only about a week or so, but uh, my ex-wife had never known me. Um, and my drug of choice is predominantly alcohol, so I drank, and I drank a couple of times over the course of a week. And uh, even though she had read, at that point, my I think only my first book was out, but it's a very detailed uh, account of me as someone in recovery. And, but I guess reading and seeing are two different things. So she, uh, she didn't know she wanted to go on with the marriage. I moved home to give her space. And I spent three months back in Connecticut living in my parents. Very mm-hmm. humbling experience. And, uh, you know, she's sewing through what she needs to. And I'm trying to respect that as best I can. Uh, I'm also feeling betrayed, to be honest, because in my mind, it's like, you read my book, you know, I live with this. Mm-hmm. Why? It, it's a it's a legit illness. It came up and it came up and you're ready to just leave me. Now, I want to be very clear and take a pause here to say that anything I share and have been sharing is only my experience. I have no ill will or animosity towards my ex-wife. And of course, definitely not towards my stepdaughter. Um, I am just sharing my side of what happened. And I respect 110% the fact that both my ex-wife and my stepdaughter had their own experiences. Unfortunately, they're not on this program, so they can't share them. But I want to be very clear that this is just what was happening for me. So that, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's all no. we all do. And I commend you because you've only said high praises about them. And it's like with me going into this, I made a vow to myself and God, but nowhere in any time I speak, write or anything, you will never hear my ex-husband's name. This is my, yeah. story. this is my story. And he has his side and it's just all about being in service and putting your pain in service to help others. Exactly. Hundred percent, and that's why, like, even when I wrote the introduction to my last book, which came out earlier this year, uh, it basically recounts the second relapse, which I'll talk about in a moment. But um, I wanted to do so and write so in a way that was very respectful uh, and as honest to my experience while being fair to them. So, you know, going back to that, we can fast forward to. Uh, Towards the end of those three months, my ex-wife came down to Connecticut and it was like a trial, like let's spend a weekend together and see what happens. And it was around Halloween, which is both of our favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that I still wanted to be with her, but, you know, she wasn't sure. And uh, and that was kind of some initial stages of abandonment coming up Mm -hmm. in me. I didn't experience that as a child, but um, I did with that to be honest like that left me with that uh it sucks feeling abandoned um yeah you think it's forever like yeah better or worse forever thick or thin yeah right and that's that is like you know i i i reread our vows several times during those three months and i was like well what happened to those vows so anyways we worked it out it actually at that point was great because it brought down all of these walls. We had both um, been building up resentments towards one another. We weren't talking about 
but this was the catalyst that for uh, whatever reason it just shattered all that we got honest with each other she let me know the ways in which she felt i wasn't showing up and i let her know my own frustrations and things were pretty good for a while after that i you know we decided uh in an, about a month right around thanksgiving i would move back up and i was like yeah or no we d- they were going to come down which they did for thanksgiving and then i would go back up home with them and that's what happened and things were good for several months and then we fell back into this pattern of unfortunately just you know disagreeing on a lot of things and you know a lot of personal stuff that's beyond the scope of what we need to get into here but um, I ended up a little over a year later drinking again. And what I've recognized is that since, in, since then, uh, looking back on it, working in therapy, you know, we were having difficulties, my, my ex and I, and um, I was very much suppressing them because I, it was like, whoa, if this isn't going to work out, what does that mean? I left everything in the U.S., to move to another country, to live with this woman, to yada, yada. And I'm like, I can't look at that. I don't want to, I don't even want to think about that. So I suppressed it. And unfortunately, what I came to realize is that uh, what it seems like is that this relapse was a very immature way of me, instead of talking um, skillfully to my ex-wife, it was a way in which I knew because she had told me, if you relapse again, then we're over. And, uh, and I did relapse and, um, and we were over. And it, it is important to note this very quickly that uh, the relapse that happened that second time, we were in Connecticut visiting my family in the summer. I had a root canal done. I had Percocets prescribed. Um, my ex-wife and, or I'm sorry, my ex-wife and stepdaughter went back uh, from Connecticut about two weeks before I did I, I took a bus home which I would do periodically and uh, and so I had the root canal done after they left I took took Percocets on the on the bus ride home that immediately lowered my inhibitions I was at a layover at a bus stop where they sold wine which I usually wouldn't drink I started drinking that then I got to a layover in Montreal found a package store, got vodka, started drinking that. I don't remember getting to Ottawa. I don't remember getting a taxi. I don't remember getting home. It was late. It was like midnight-ish. So luckily my uh, ex-wife and stepdaughter were asleep. But what I do remember is, uh, and it haunts me, and that's why I share this. The next morning, and this is where the full-on divorce happened, uh, I woke up. I was very sick because at this point, again, I hadn't drank in in quite a while. Mm -hmm. I still had some uh, vodka left in a Poland spring bottle, which I had put in my dresser. Uh, But I woke up and I had some mints. I put them in my mouth. I did not drink yet that morning, but my mouth, I'm sure, still smelled like alcohol. I walked out to the kitchen. My ex-wife was making uh, lunch for my stepdaughter for school. I walk out, I give her a hug, I give her a kiss. She looks at my face very concerned. And I'm like, nope, no, it's just the mints. Totally lie to her face. And uh, she's like, all right. But I knew she knew something was up. 
Right. And from there, I walk out to the kitchen or living room where my uh, stepdaughter was sitting, watching cartoons, eating cereal. And this is literally my last memory is feeling sick to my stomach, um, kissing her on the forehead, saying, I love you so much. And her, you know, being a kid watching cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I love you too. You know, not really paying attention. Going back into the bedroom, knowing that they were leaving in 15 minutes to go to school and trying my hardest to hold in my sickness. And it lasted like five minutes and I just, I couldn't anymore. So I had to go to the bathroom and I was sick in the bathroom. And while I was throwing up, to be honest, a minute or two later, my ex-wife came in and she had found the bottle that had the vodka left over put it on the counter and we both looked at each other and uh, had tears in her eyes and both knew that was it. Mm. And so uh, from there, um, she did bring my stepdaughter to school. I did not see my stepdaughter after that. So literally my last memory is of kissing her sick to my stomach, holding in vomit. And like I said, that truly haunts me. Uh, But but when she got back, my ex-wife from dropping uh, my stepdaughter for school, you know, she said, uh, "We're done. This is over." And I already knew it. Uh, fortunately, my bag was still packed because I just got in the night before from the bus ride, so I got you know a plane ticket back. And uh, there's so much more to the story, but you know, I just wanted to share because that's important. That's what happened. Do you and know- I've not talked to my stepdaughter since that day. I'm actually um, flooded with emotion and thoughts at this moment. And I'm, I've been so fortunate to talk to amazing speakers, really amazing and kind, but you are the first and I'm sure only one that truly shared and painted a picture of divorce for people to know and to know how yours ends. It's never pretty ever. The, mar- the wedding might be pretty, but the divorce is not pretty. Yeah. And I can only thank you for your complete honesty and sharing all of that for bringing my attention to something I need to focus and investigate on more and learn more about, about the stepchildren in divorce. And when we send out your speaker page that everybody will get, I'm gonna list your books because they're so amazing and everything you do. And for everyone listening, I mean, you speak all over. You speak at different things. You really give. And what you gave me was A, the awareness to all the step families. And I thank you. Sure. And B, you say things in life sometimes that you don't know the impact on somebody else. And when we spoke, you said, <laughs> we were on a Zoom call and you said, when we do the interview, I'll have a much better mic system. And I said, well, I won't, (laughs) but you replied with, you let me know and I'll tell you what to get to set up because I remember being there and I will never forget that, that kind of, like truly, like you didn't have, like that was a very kind, kind offer. I thought about it for days that don't worry, I'm not going to call you, but (laughs) You should. I I don't say things I don't mean. But I know that, but I just, you know what I mean? Like to just always be, I just know you're that guy that's always reaching your arm out to help the other person up. We all fall, but it's just about getting up again 
and you have set that example and I am so grateful my audience gets to hear you. And I and thank you for saying that. And and to be honest, it is things like this that we were discussing uh, about the divorce of my stepdaughter, which you know we could talk hours more about because we just skimmed the iceberg. But it's things like that um, in my life and my experiences with addiction that have truly like broken me down. And uh, it's not like I sat here one day and consciously decided, you know what, I want to be a good person and help people it's just man it, it was i was beaten down and uh so now whatever chance i can get that's my passion is is trying to help other people because i i get it i mean i truly i do i turned 40 last year and it is nothing short of a miracle and i am not in any way exaggerating that it is nothing short of a miracle that i am still alive today so the fact that i am what I can do with whatever time I have left, maybe it's a day, maybe it's 20, 30 years, I don't know. But um, I'll tell you to my last breath, I'm here to help other people in whatever way I can, sincerely, because you are. Man, yeah, life just, life is hard. It's so hard. And shit, if, if someone can show up and just like give a word or two that maybe, maybe it is just a word or two that helps change that trajectory of their life. You never know. I'll leave you with this. You never know the ripple effects your actions in life have ever. No matter how small you might think they are, yeah, you never know. You never know. And they always have an effect. And just quickly before we leave, for those people listening, like this is one cool cat that I can relate to. Can you just say the names of your books quickly in case case they haven't heard of them? (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I usually don't self-promote. I feel weird, but I... Well, I I'm can't. promoting you because you're amazing. You're not I, weird. I am. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, it's just still my own weird thing. But yes, you asked. I'm happy to answer. The first book is called Indie Spiritualist. It was published by uh, Beyond Words and Atria, which is a subdivision of Simon & Schuster. Second book is called Everything Mind, which was published by Sounds True. And the third book is called Dead Set on Living which was published by Simon & Schuster and Gallery Books. All three can be found basically anywhere books are sold, Amazon, you know, the whole, you know, the routine. I do, and I appreciate you saying it, but I think it's, um, it's important too for the men listening to have somebody as open as you that they could relate to. Yeah. as being the man in this relationship, because it's so geared to like women helping women. So I want to make sure that I have men helping men. And and I can't respect you enough, and and uh, honestly, Lisa, for you doing this and uh, putting this together, I thank you. I I appreciate you inviting me on. I appreciate you allowing me to share, you know, a bit of my story. Uh, maybe if you have another one, we'll go deeper into it. But um, I will, and we will. Yeah, well, that's great because this is needed. And the very last thing I want to reiterate again, and I know I made it clear earlier, but truly. Anything I shared, it's just my side of it, my experience. Um, the divorce was, I couldn't have asked for a smoother divorce. There were no prenups signed in the beginning. No one went after one another. There were no attorneys needed. We literally just said, I want you to be happy and vice versa. And I went up to Ottawa with my dad and brother uh, with a big truck and we got my stuff. I hugged my ex. I came home. Unfortunately, I don't stay in touch with her. 
Uh, or again, my stepdaughter, not my choice, theirs, but I respect that. Yeah. Um, but I want to be clear that, uh, you know, again, that what I'm sharing is strictly right. from my experience and they might tell you a whole nother story and I might be like this evil villain. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> you know what? there's always two sides, Yeah. but you've been more than respectful and, and honest in telling your side and we can move home and we can move away from it, but it's unpacking the pain. That's the hardest part. Yeah, truly. And so you're helping people do that. And I'm thankful. And I wish you an amazing trip in Florida. Thank and you. seriously, this guy just got his head tattooed yesterday. <laughs> I hope you must have one bangaroo headache because that, you, I mean, you did a lot of tattooing on your head. It was, uh, it was three and a half hours. And I get to go back Monday before I go to Florida to get the other side done. Great time. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to look for it on Facebook, and you can all find him. We're going to put all the links to all his information. I am so thankful and grateful. And I look forward to having another conversation with you again someday. And I look forward to you all listening to my incredible speaker that will be here tomorrow. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Lisa. Much respect. You too. Goodbye. Goodbye.